Thank you, Brother Bob. Let's stand and take our Bibles. Please turn to John chapter 3. If your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible, would you be kind enough to share your Bible with them and help them find their place, John chapter 3. While you're doing that, just a few instructions for tonight. Please plan your arrival at 4.30 to get good parking. Once this parking lot is filled, the ushers have been instructed to ask everyone who drives through the driveway to drop off your passengers at the front of the parking lot so they can walk in. And then you'll make your way over next door to 2950 Merced Street. Park your car over there. And then you can retrieve your car a little bit later after that. It's going to be a great program. Uh, I'd like to ask all of our members and regular attendees, please take some time this afternoon to pray for the, uh, the, the service tonight and that God will greatly bless it and use it. And we're just excited what God's doing. And if you're new to the church again this morning, we're honored that you're here. And we're praying that God will do something great in your heart today. And you'll catch the heart of what the Lord is doing here at Heritage Baptist Church here in San Leandro. Say amen if you're in John chapter 3. Amen. All right. Follow as I read, please, this morning. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, or eternal life. Would you read verses 16, 17, and 18 with me, please? Would you read together with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Would you notice in verse 16 those two words, so loved. Those of you new to the church, I've been preaching. I just started preaching a series of messages a few weeks ago entitled on the theme, Nothing But the Truth. And this morning we are going to look at the truth about God's love. Nestled right here in John chapter 3 is the truth about God's love. Let's bow our heads together in prayer, thanking God for his love and praying that God will love us abundantly through this message this morning and helping us to realize the truth about his wonderful love. Now, Lord, today, thank you for the gift of love. It's, it's really something we don't understand. In fact, we're instructed in Ephesians 3 to know the, the, the depths and the height of the love of Christ that you have for us. This morning, thank you for John 3.16. John 3.16 has changed millions of lives. John 3.16 is why we have missions. John 3.16 is why churches like Heritage Baptist Church exist. John 3.16 takes someone who has a hole in their heart and fills it up. It takes someone who feels forsaken, abandoned, rejected, and unloved, and to know that there's a God in heaven that loves him. John 3.16 is the doctrine of love. It's the explanation of the emanation of love from the holiness of God. It's the explanation of why Jesus Christ came into the world. And so this morning, would you help me? I feel so inadequate. I feel so incomplete. I feel so, Lord, just, uh, uh, just unworthy even to even read these verses of Scripture. I pray and just that the Holy Spirit of God would enable me with freshness. And with your fresh anointing, I pray that you give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the garments of mourning. And today, may you be magnified in every heart as we understand how the love of God correlates with 
salvation and believing and all of that. And we pray tonight, this morning, that God, that someone today who's not saved would come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Thank you today for what we'll hear. Open our ears abundantly and open our hearts abundantly that the Word of God will have its way. And we want to leave this morning refreshed and encouraged, secure, and knowing today that we're on our way to heaven. And we'll thank you for all of this now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, Amen. You may be seated. In 1870, a group of archaeologists were leading an expedition in Egypt. During this expedition, they were looking for artifacts and a number of things of historical significance to perhaps people in that, that line of work. And there in Egypt, in the sands of Egypt, they uncovered a giant red obelisk. This giant red obelisk was so significant, the Egyptians assigned a name to it called Cleopatra's Needle. The Egyptians took that as after it was uncovered by these English archaeologists, and they donated it to Great Britain, which put it along the Thames River. So there on the Thames River, you can still find this, this obelisk, which is called Cleopatra's Needle. When they established and moved it there and erected that monument there, that obelisk, they got together and decided to put a time vault. If you're familiar with the time vault, it's basically it's a, a hole that they, they built, they, they dig up in the ground, and today we'll pour concrete over it. But the time vault basically is where they'll, they'll, pour, they'll put information or things into there. And somewhere in the future, they'll open that time vault to remember what they did. And so things were put inside that time vault. Uh, children came and put little trinkets and buttons were put in there and coins were put in there. But as they were, they were doing this, some of the leading men of that day, which at that time England was known as a, a great, as really the great preaching nation, the great Christian nation of the world at that time, preachers along the, along the way were asked, what, were, what is the greatest verse of scripture that you think that we can put inside that time vault? And unanimously, every preacher in England voted on John 3.16, which we just read. And in that time vault, if you go there to Cleopatra's Needle, inside that time vault, one day they'll open it and we'll uncover John 3.16 as being placed inside there. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 is the best-known verse in the Bible. Many times when I am interviewing someone who has gotten baptized or looking at contemplating joining the church, I'll ask them about their salvation testimony, their baptism testimony, and I'll ask them this question. I'll ask, can you give me one verse of Scripture that you could point to that tells me, that tells me in your salvation testimony that you know for sure you're saved? And almost every time people give me John 3.16. Martin Luther called John 3.16 the Bible in miniature. Herschel Hobbes, a great Southern Baptist teacher of days gone by, said that, the, that John 3.16 is the gospel in superlatives. A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar, said that, the, that uh, John 3.16 is called his little gospel. And of course, many people have referred to John 3.16 as the Mount Everest of Scripture. Look again at that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 adequately and biblically responds to all of the isms of the world. In Christian terms, when we refer to an ism, we're referring to a religion that is teaching something or faith belief that is teaching something opposite of what the Bible says. For instance, we take the two words for God. For God 
response to the, to the false doctrine of atheism, which says there is no God. John 3.16 emphatically tells us there is a God. And then we notice, in the, as we break that down, the words so love respond to the error of fatalism. Fatalism says that God is an impersonal force. I'm going to tell you this morning, God is not an impersonal force, and He's not a force, He's God. He's not a Star Wars God. He is the God who made the stars. Amen. And we're thankful today for a God who loves us, who's very personal. And we pray during this week and leading up this message that God will be very personal to you in your life. If you're wondering where God is and who God is, you must know God in a personal way. For God answers atheism. So love answers uh, answers fatalism. Notice uh, the world responds to nationalism. Nationalism is the error that teaches God is only concerned with one group of people. Look at it again. God, for God so loved the world. The world means everybody. Aren't you glad about that today? In our congregation this morning, there's about 16, 17, maybe 18 different ethnic groups made up of our church this morning. What brings us together is the fact that the gospel itself, but the fact that all of us in this room speak English. But it responds to the the error of nationalism that Jesus Christ did not die or God just doesn't love one group of people, but he loves everybody. And then notice the phrase that he gave, that he gave response to the error of materialism. Materialism says, it has this doctrine. It says it is more blessed to receive than to give. Now, if you didn't listen very carefully, you said, well, that's what I thought in the Bible. No, the Bible says by the words of Jesus Christ, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Materialism says it's more blessed to receive than it is to give. By nature, we're very selfish. Then notice the phrase, his only begotten son. His only begotten son responds to the error of Mohammedism, which says God has no son. We'll see this morning, God has a son who is equal to the father. We'll see this morning that this phrase, that whosoever believeth, responds to the error of Calvinism, which says Jesus Christ only died for the elect, and God only died, and God only will save the elect. I'm glad this morning our Bible says that whosoever believeth means everybody can be saved. Amen. Anybody wants to call on Jesus Christ as Savior. If you had any doubt about that, you should have hung around us this week around soul winning. We've just seen a wonderful week of people trusting Christ as Savior. Last night, of course, there was just a number of folks that trusted Christ. Whosoever means anybody can be saved. Then notice the phrase, in him. In him responds to the error of pluralism which says that all religions please God or all roads lead to heaven. Only one road leads to heaven and that road is Jesus Christ. Amen. That Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to father but by me and then notice if you would the phrase should not should not perish should not perish, addresses and responds to the era of annihilationism. Annihilationism says that there is no hell. There is a literal hell. Notice again, perish and condemnation speaks about the fact if you do not believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you'll spend all of eternity in condemnation to hell. And then notice the last phrase there to this morning, but have everlasting life. Ever, that phrase there, but have everlasting life, responds to the error of Arminianism, which says God only gives life conditionally. You see this this morning as we look at this passage of scripture, it is a follow-up to a discussion, it's a continuation of a discussion Jesus has with the highest ruling religious leader of that day, a man by the name of Nicodemus, who was of the Pharisees. And Jesus told that man in our last message about the importance of the new birth. Jesus told that man in John 3, 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So this morning, let us consider the truth concerning God's 
God's love. Number one, would you notice that God's love is absolute? Notice with me this morning the absolute concerning God. The phrase starts off, the verse starts off in verse 16. For God so loved. One of my favorite songs that, we, that our choir and orchestra does was sung last week. It talks about the love of God. It talks about um, there's something about the love of Jesus. I love that song, and I think many of us do. That song will be on the, the choir orchestra CD, which we'll be distributing sometime next year. And it speaks about God's love in such a wonderful way. You see, the absolute about God's love is that God's love is unlike human love. Human love can turn cold. Human love can be fickle. But God's love is unchanging. God's love Love is absolute. Notice it is infinite by being absolute. Infinite means it's forever and forever. God, by his nature, just keeps on loving. How many of you think about, about that tonight, this morning, man? God's love just keeps on giving. It's infinite in his nature. The Lord told us in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, which you notice... The Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. What a wonderful thought. God loves us with an everlasting love. It is an infinite love. It's a love that keeps on giving. It's a love that keeps on loving. It has no dimensional limitations. There's no mountain higher than God's love. There's no ocean too deep for God's love. There is no sin it cannot forgive. There is no person so unlovable. Infinite love is everlasting. Whatever image, whatever thought, whatever you heard leading up to service, I want you to know this morning, the Bible explains this very clearly, that God's love is infinite. God's love is for you and for me. And God just keeps on loving. You might be someone who's experienced the pain of rejection. And you might be someone who's experienced the pain of being unforgiven. And you might be someone who feels the pain of being abandoned. I've got good news for you this morning, sir. I've got good news for you this, ma'am. You might be someone where daddy's walked out on you or somebody where mama's walked out on you or your home is broken up. But I've got some good news for you this morning. Infinite love means we have a God whose love is everlasting for you and me. It's infinite love. What you notice this morning is indescribable love. There are not enough words that we can find in our vocabulary, no matter what language that can describe it. Look again at verse 16. For God so loved, so loved, the Bible says in Romans 5 eight, but God commendeth his love towards us. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, would you follow in your notes, please? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. Let's stop there for a minute. Notice in verse 17, God's desire, this was the prayer of the Apostle Paul, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. By the way, the only way Christ could dwell in your heart is only by faith. You must by faith accept Jesus Christ as Savior. He doesn't dwell in your heart because you went through a ritual. He doesn't dwell in your heart because you did a ceremony. He doesn't dwell in your heart just because you're sitting on a nice padded seat here in Heritage Baptist Church. He dwells in your heart when by faith you accept Him as your personal Savior. And as Paul is writing this out in John ch- in Ephesians chapter 3, he's describing God's wonderful will for us. God's will, in verse 18, is that you and I would be able able to comprehend with all Christians what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of God. Notice those dimensions, the length and the breadth and the height of God's love. And he says in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ. You see, this morning, God wants us to experience his love. God doesn't want you to be a pygmy Christian, a, a Christian who's got stunted growth, who cannot grow. He wants you to grow and expand and enlarge in the love of God. He wants God's love to work in you in such a way that you may know his love. Our goal this morning in prayer is that you would know 
know the love of God, to know God's love, the truth about God's love. And he said in verse 19, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You say, I want the spirits filling. I want the fullness of God. Well, to get the fullness of God, you've got to experience God's love working in your life. Amen. And I'll tell you, that's the answer this morning for many of us who have many insecurities. We have insecurities perhaps because of how we were raised or perhaps because of the, the neighborhood we grew up in or perhaps because the school we went to or because maybe we weren't as athletic as someone else or maybe we were told we were worthless and all of those kind of things. And I just want to encourage this morning, if you went through any of those things, you're not the only one. And I'm thankful we have a God in heaven who wants you to comprehend and to know his love that surpasses all of those things. And as we think about those things, how indescribable it is, I'm reminded this morning of a song that's in our hymnal that every now and then, in fact, our choir sings it, entitled The Love of God, written by Frederick Lehman. And it goes like this, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Listen to the chorus. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. The last stanza says something like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Very interesting, that third stanza was written on the wall of an asylum of an asylum institution back in the day when some man was trying to just get himself wrapped around God's love in his mind and he wrote that on the wall there. I'm just saying this morning when we think about the absolute God's love, it is infinite. It is indescribable. But you notice it's also inseparable. It's something that God will never let you go. God will never leave you behind. God will never leave you doubting. Would you notice in Romans chapter 8 verses 35 to 39 God penned these words for you and I that we may know that God's love is inseparable, that we may know that God's love never fails us, that we may know that God's love is not like human love, which can be fickle, that we may know that God is there for you in your darkest hour, in your most difficult time, when you're in bondage in some situation, that you may know this morning that God's love is inseparable. Notice Romans chapter 8, what he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Would you consider this morning, verse 35, all of these calamities or so-called perils, if you would, none of those things can separate us from the love of Christ. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many are thankful this morning his love is inseparable? Aren't you glad about that today? August 16th, 1987. Northwest Airlines Flight 225 had just taken off from Detroit Airport. It barely was up in the sky when it had experienced some kind of mechanical failure. It made a crash landing. As it landed, they thought that everyone on that plane on flight 225 had perished. Rescue workers and first responders made their way there. In the midst of all the carnage, 
twisted metal, body strewn everywhere, body parts departed and broken. What a mess. While they were looking for survivors, others were looking back on records to determine among people in the passenger cars who were affected and the passengers who bought a plane ticket to get on the plane, could there be any survivors? They wanted to match up names and find people. When rescuers found a little baby by the name of Cecilia Setchin, they thought that Cecilia had been a passenger in a car and somehow she survived the plane crashing on those cars. But as the records came out, they discovered that Cecilia Setchin was not a passenger car, but had been a registered passenger on flight 225. And as they started to piece things together, they found where she was at, that there was hovered over the body of Cecilia Setchin was her mother who was hovered over her. And what happened there as they uncovered things, they found that her mother Paula, as they recognized that the plane was going to crash, Paula Setchin had unbuckled her seatbelt, took her little child Cecilia, got down on on the ground, got down on the floor of the plane and covered her little daughter up on the plane and hovered over here with the hope that as the plane crashed that her baby would survive. Cecilia Setchin was the only survivor on that crash. She survived because of a mother's love that held her tightly and made determination that nothing will let her go. And I would remind you this morning, as much as a mother's love held on that little baby daughter and she's still alive today to testify of a mother who hovered over her and gripped her with such an incredible love that that the force and the impact of the action couldn't jar that baby away. I remind you today, there's no hurricane and there's no storm and there's no cyclone and there's no funeral and there's no death and there's no illness and there's no situation that any of us can go through that will ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We see the absolute of God's love. But you notice our verse this morning, number two, which you consider the atonement in God's love. For God so loved the world, and notice the explanation. How did he so love the world? That he gave his only begotten son. Cut and paste that portion of the verse. And maybe some are right, atonement. Atonement means a payment price. I want you to understand what real love is all about this morning. I want to race out of your mind that you think that Christmas is showing my love by putting a present under a tree. It's more than that. I want you to see this morning the atonement that's found in God's love. First of all, notice the reach in that atonement. For God so loved the world. The world is every nation on planet Earth. The world is the entire human race, as A.T. Robertson would say. The world world occurs 78 times in the Gospel of John. It's referred to 24 times in the little letter epistles that John wrote, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. The world means the sum total of all the people. And if the numbers are right, that we have 7.7 billion people in the world and it's growing exponentially. May remind you that the love of God reaches to every single person, to people we know and people we don't know. I remind you this morning, we have a God who's color and racial blind. Aren't you glad about that this morning? We have a God whose love reaches the entire world. That reach is the entire world. It doesn't need explanation. It doesn't need a new redefinition. 
definition. It doesn't need theologians to mess with it and monkey around with it. It means what it says. God loved the entire world. Aren't you glad about that this morning? The reach in that atonement is the world. But notice the reason why God's love reaches out to us. First John 5.19 says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. The reason why God reaches out to us is because the sin is the world we live in is sin cursed. This world was cursed with sin when our first, when the first Adam and his wife Eve sinned and disobeyed God. When they disobeyed God's law, God gave them one simple command and they broke that law. When they broke that law, sunshine turned into darkness. When they broke that law, they brought the curse of death upon all the world. For by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So then death is passed upon all men for all have sinned. We all will experience or have experienced the, the, the sorrow of someone that we love passing from us and passing from this life. And the hardest thing about death is the fact of the separation. That person will no longer be with us. They'll no longer be their voice. They'll no longer be their touch. Where they sat on their seat, as David said, their seat will be empty. Their place, will, they shall be missed at the table and their seat will be empty. And there's just an emptiness that we feel about that. And so as we consider that, that is the curse, the ultimate curse concerning sin, that every person born in this world, judgment has been passed on us that we must die for our sins. And not only is it a physical death, but it's a spiritual death. You see, this morning as we read John chapter 3, verses 14 to 18, it reminds us that all sin must be judged. Not some sin, not a few sins, all sin has to be judged and has been judged by God. God uses the word in verse 16, perish, and the words condemn and condemnation, verses 17 to 18, that we might know that as we consider the holiness of God, one of the emanations, one of the attributes of God's holiness is the fact that God is a God of justice. God is a God of judge. And as we'll read our way through the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ will judge this world in righteousness. Consider Acts 17, verse 31, because he's appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. Righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men, and that he has raised him from the dead. You know what's our problem we have as individuals? As you talk to folks about, about getting saved and going to heaven, we have established our own criteria. We have determined we are our own judge, and not the fact that we are under the greatest judge, the judge God himself. And the Bible says God has appointed a day when this world will be judged according to righteousness. Not according to our righteousness, which is faulty but according to the righteousness of God, which is holy. And we will all fall short of that. There is no righteousness in any individual. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, for all, it tells in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. It doesn't matter how good we are, we're not good enough. It doesn't matter how good we plan to be, we'll never be good enough according to God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so as we consider that, righteousness can only be obtained through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we see this morning, that as we're working away through this matter of atonement. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now watch this. The reach in atonement is for everybody. The reason for atonement is because we all have sin and God is going to judge our sin. But notice, if you would, please, the redemption that is in atonement. Here's the reason. Here's what atonement is all about. The redemption atonement is found there in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now notice in those simple words, it describes God's love for you and me. It's a love that's available for us. God is making something that seems so intangible, tangible that you and I can reach out to. 
First of all, what you notice in verse 16, as he speaks about this redemption, notice we see the deity of Jesus Christ here. We see the deity of Christ. Notice it says, His only begotten Son. Now, sometimes you could look at that and you might just get used to it, but you probably wonder in your mind, what does he mean, only begotten Son? Very simply means this, Jesus Christ is the only one of His kind. He's the only one of His kind because He is God. It's referring to the fact Jesus came into this world by way of the virgin birth, which we'll be preaching on soon. And this virgin birth means that Jesus Christ had a human mother, but He didn't have a human father. God was the Father. God supernaturally touched that human womb of that virgin. Mary was the only woman who conceived and gave birth to a child without a human father's intervention. It could only happen by God touching her body, the Holy Spirit of God overshadowing her. And what God says in His Word, that holy thing which is in thee is of, uh, shall be the Son of God. There, Jesus coming to the world was miraculous and the only one of His kind. So it's the only begotten of the Father. It speaks to us about what I've referred to last night and I'll refer to tonight is what we call in Christian circles the incarnation. Incarnation means God became a man yet without sin. He became just like us without sin. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifest in the flesh. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. The Bible tells us in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in his fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the Christ. You see, the death of the cross. You understand this morning, as we read John 3, 16, Atonement in its matter and speaking of redemption speaks to us about the deity of Christ. It was God who died for man. It was God who took our place on the cross. It was God who was punished for us. It was God who became a man and shed his sinless blood so that that sinless blood would be the payment price for all of our sins. Fathom with me today, this morning, the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. He didn't become God. He is always God. Jesus is not becoming God. He is God. The Bible says God was in Christ and he is God altogether. I like what the old Southern Baptist preacher R.G. Lee said about the birth of Jesus Christ and about his deity. Jesus was the only one ever born who had a heavenly father, but did not have a heavenly mother who had an earthly mother, but did not have an earthly father. And the only one who was ever born older than his mother, but not but the same age as his father. We can give glory to God this morning for the wonderfulness of the deity of Christ. But in the redemption, we not only see the deity of Christ, which you notice in that verse, we see the death of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How did he give? How did he give? With a precious little granddaughter, first thing I do when they, my daughter and my son-in-law arrive with the baby, I run to the nursery if I can. I want to go see the baby. And they'll say, well, we can't give you the baby. I said, I'm the pastor. Give me the baby, please. Amen. <laughs> he said, you're not fingerprinted. I said, I'm, I'm the pastor. I'm fingerprinted. Believe me, I'm fingerprinted. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. My daughter, Carice, she'll give the baby to me. But there's going to come a time she's going to want the baby back. When God gave his son... God gave His Son. Christ suspended 
between heaven and earth on that cross. The Bible says at the sixth hour, which is 12 o'clock noon our time, darkness covered the earth. And we heard in the play last night, and you'll hear it again tonight. Jesus cried out these words. They would send shivers up your spine. Will make the hair stand on your flesh. He cried out in torment, in pain, in suffering. My God. My God. Why? Why has thou forsaken me? And Jesus on that cross died for every sinner. He took your place, my place. Jesus' death was a sacrificial death. He sacrificed and gave himself for you and I. I've talked to many people about the Lord. In my 47 years, I've been a Christian. Not one has ever said, I would give my child to die for a criminal. But Jesus died for you and me. Jesus died for us, the sinners. But God commendeth his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you know what? Sometimes I tell people, take the word us out and write in there, God, Christ died for me. It was a sacrificial death. But you notice it was a shocking death. It was a shocking death. With what Scripture describes to us and what we know about the barbarism of the Romans, of the Assyrians, of a Roman crucifixion, words cannot describe. There's no pictures of words that can describe the shocking nature of Jesus dying on that cross. He was stripped naked. The Savior. He was bleeding from His hands. Gaping holes in His hands and His feet. His back was torn to shreds. If the historians are right that they had, they had they scourged him so badly, he had no skin left on his back, and it could be very well his organs were exposed. And when you think about it, they 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 thrust a crown of thorn on my Savior's head, and those thorns that they had, they pierced his head. I'm thankful uh, Mrs. Martinez made a uh, took some thorns and, de- and and developed for us, and I'll, I'll show it this year's coming Easter musical, the crown of thorns. And I held it, it was very prickly, and I imagine they thrust it on our Savior's head. It pierced his temple, and blood is coming down. Can you imagine Roman centurions being so sacrilegious and so irreverent that as Jesus came by, they looked at this humble man from Nazareth and they slapped him across the face and they took their fists, they punched him, they pummeled our Savior. And the Bible says his visage was beyond recognition. They couldn't even recognize that he was a human being. I'm just saying this morning, there's so many things we could say about Christ and his death on the cross, but it was a sacrificial death. It was a shocking death. You can't imagine that somebody, that a human being could be treated with such indignation and they could be treated with such indignity and they could be treated with such hatred and such wrath and such torment and to endure all that for you and I. And our Jesus hung on the cross for six long hours for your sins and mine. He was there on the cross groveling for your sins and mine. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. I'm saying this morning, Jesus' death on the cross was sacrificial and it was shocking. And what you notice this morning, it was satisfying. Before Jesus gave up the ghost, the very last thing he said, It 
is finished. And it's more dramatic than that in the Greek because the Greek had one word that incorporated that, that statement. It was a word that they used in all of their transactions. When an artist would paint a picture, when he was done, he would say this word. When a debt was paid in full, the creditor would say this word. When, a, when somebody accomplished a race, they ran the race and they finished the race, they would say this word. And the Greek word was the word tetelestai. It is finished. It is completed. Nothing needs to be added to it. It is finished. It's done. It's completed. And listen, when Jesus died for your sins and mine, he satisfied all of God's righteous demands for sins. Sins were paid in full. And praise God, he left a zero balance for you and me. Amen. Redemption means the necessary payment price was paid in full for you and me. No church can pay in full your sin debt. No religious action on your part and mine can pay in full the sin debt. No baptism can wash away your sins because only the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away your sins. No amount of good works will satisfy God's debt. For sin. Because you know what? There's never going to be enough good works. Have you ever done something where you did pull all your effort and only to find out from the teacher or your employer uh, well, you got to do it all over again? And you're going to say, well, don't I get credit for that? No, you don't get credit for that. By the way, all your good works, if you're trying to work through in heaven, God doesn't give you any credit for those good works. Think about that for just a minute. It's not what we're doing or what we're trying to do. It's what's already been done. D-O-N-E. It's done. It's done. It's completed. It's satisfied, pain and full with a zero balance. That's redemption. That's atonement. That's what Jesus Christ did for you and me. But you notice verse 16, we see the absolute in God's love. We see the atonement in God's love. Would you notice the availability of God's love? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Would you notice this phrase? I love this. That whosoever believeth in him. Would you do this? Highlight, circle, underline that word, whosoever. This morning, if you are not born again and saved, you've never received Jesus Christ your Savior, that's your name right there. This past Tuesday, um, I got up that morning and was praying and reading my Bible and spending some time getting ready. Just kind of been a very busy week. And uh, I was getting ready and Brother Eugene and I were going to meet for sowing. It was his day off on Tuesday. We met for sow winning. And I kind of just, the Lord had reminded me that 47 years ago, this past Tuesday, at 10.30 in the evening on a Saturday night, sitting on my family's living room couch, that was the day I was born into God's family. I called on Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And as I thought about that, we were sharing the gospel. We were going around inviting people to the Christmas musical. It was kind of a cold and overcast day, and it just started to rain. And my little faith, I was almost going to tell Brother Gene, I think we should go back and start to sprinkle. And then God just kind of got a hold of my heart and says, Alan, you need to keep going. We just kept on going. And right after I made that decision, the third house we came to, a lady came to the door. She had her wool cap on. She was all bundled up. And, uh, you know, sometimes I like to be a little bit, I, I, I kind of like to break the ice. So she opened the door, and I went, brr, we're cold, huh? <laughs> and she started laughing there. She said, what are you talking about, you know? And I said, it's pretty cold this Thank you for opening the door today for us. She said, well, who are you? And I said, I'm Pastor Fong. And this is my good friend, Eugene. I said, we're your neighbors from Heritage Baptist Church. She said, well, she said, what are you doing here today? It's rainy and cold. I said, well, we got a great Christmas musical. We'd like to invite you to the Christmas musical. 
And this lady's from uh, the, uh, the Cavite province in the Philippines. And we have several of our members here this morning from Cavite. And I preached there this past year. And just I love that area, just going there. And, and so uh, we got to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it was cold. But as it was cold, she just allowed us, gave us liberty time to talk to her. And not long after that, probably about an hour or so after that, that lady trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And I told her, you know that? I said, ma'am, today, today, 47 years ago, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, whosoever was Alan Fong. And I said, whosoever can be you as well. And I say to you this morning, as we consider the availability, whosoever means you. Put your name in there. Whosoever is an open invitation. I like what the great preacher, Dr. Jerry Vine, says. He says, whosoever means this. Whosoever believeth is a welcome mat inviting the whole world to God. Whosoever believeth is regardless of your sinful past. Whosoever believeth means that anybody can. Whosoever believeth means you can do it right now. Whosoever believeth means that that the ball is in the court of the sinner. Listen, this morning, you know enough how to be saved right now. You know you're a sinner. You know Jesus died for your sins. You know God loves you. God loves you so much. He doesn't want you to be punished and spend eternity now. God wants you to be saved to go to heaven. He, he knows that. And he wants you to be saved today. And He wants you to understand that God is the supreme lover, paid the ultimate price by having Jesus, His Son, die for you. And so now He makes He makes salvation, as we call it, available to you. You can be saved today. You can be the whosoever. Simply all you've got to do is believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can be saved this morning. W.T. Aiken made the statement. I thought it was so good. He said this, I believe in a physician when I put my case into that physician's hands and I trust him to cure me. I believe in a lawyer when I leave my case in his hands and trust him to plead for me. I believe in a banker when I put money into his hands and allow him to keep it on my behalf. I believe in a stockbroker that when I trust him for the trading of securities that he's not going to mess me up. I trust in my own judgmental thing. But notice he said this, I believe in my Savior when I take him to be my Savior when I put my helpless case into his hands and trust him to do what I cannot do for myself and that is save me from my sins. Whosoever means today you can put your trust completely in Jesus Christ and he will save you from all your sins. Will you be whosoever this morning? Will you call on Jesus Christ to save you? Would you say, Lord, I I believe I want to be one of those whosoever's that will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the absolute in God's love, the atonement in God's love, the availability in God's love. Would you notice the accomplishment in verse 16? We're almost done. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, notice this, should not perish. You believe you're not going to perish. You believe in Jesus as your Savior. You're not under, the, you're not under the, the condemnation of hell anymore. You're delivered from that. But notice the accomplishment. And shall have everlasting life. Life that's forever. Life in heaven. Notice verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Here's what he's saying here. The accomplishment is when we believe on Jesus Christ as Savior, the greatest transaction that's going on behind the scenes is that our sins are forgiven and God has now given us the gift of eternal life, everlasting life, and he will never take it away. Someone quoted a Native American Indian who gave this description of what that all meant. This man had gotten saved on a Native American reservation. And as he gotten, had gotten saved, someone said, well, can you describe to me what Jesus Christ did for you? He said, yes, I can. And this, this Native American man, he took a bunch of leaves and put it into a pile. 
As he put these dried old leaves into a pile, then he took, he took a, he took a little worm, a little earthworm he found. He put the worm right on top of those leaves. Then he, underneath it, he lit those leaves on fire. And as the fire started to consume those leaves, it started burning. As it looked like it was about to touch that worm, he reached down with his fingers and plucked the worm out of, out of the leaves. He said, that's what God did for me. I was the one about to perish in the fire. And God reached down with his loving hands and plucked me like a worm out of that fire. I thought that's a great illustration there. Jesus said this, I give unto them eternal life. By the way, no strings attached. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, out of my Father's hand. That's John 10, 28. God's hand is much bigger than your hand and my hand. And when you you latch hold of Jesus and latch hold of God for your salvation, listen, He holds you with a hand that will never let you go once you're saved, you're always saved. We see the absolute in God's love, the atonement in God's love, the availability of God's love, the accomplishment in God's love. And then notice, if you would, the key word in verse 16. The key word is the word believeth. There's the acceptance of God's love. Will you receive it this morning? Will you take it as your own? Would you believe? You see, Nicodemus came to Jesus thinking, well, you know, I've kept all the laws and I, you know, I've tried to do my best with all the commandments and I'm the highest of my sect of the Pharisees and I know all these things and know the world traditions, all those things. But he says, something's gnawing away at me, telling me it's not complete. And Jesus told him, look at John chapter three, verse three. He said to Nicodemus, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We close with the story and I'm done. I took one of our good Filipino brothers with me yesterday to go so when I said, hey, would you go with me, brother, to uh, I want you to go back to visit the lady from Cavite uh, with me to, to encourage the family to come to church. We pulled up to that street there and we pulled up as we were pulling up. We just saw the family leaving and the, the wife and, and I saw I saw the lady. And I called her by her first name and she turned aside and gave us a big smile. She said, oh, pastor, sorry. You know, we're, my husband's in the car and, and, and we're, my son, we got to take him to an appointment. So quickly, I asked the brother to talk to her for a little bit. They stopped talking in Tagalog and I peeked my head into the car. I said, hello, sir. I said, good morning, Paul. That's what they say, right? I said, good morning, Paul. Right. And I said, I said hello to him. And we started talking and uh, I said, hey, I want to invite your family. I hope they come tonight and so we got to talk a little bit so so i was praying about what to do because i had several families i wanted to follow up on that yesterday morning but the holy spirit was very pressed in my heart that on the street that we were on that yesterday and he said just keep on going so we went down the, we just went around the street and just kept knocking doors and people were very friendly and we gave invitations but really couldn't get the gospel anybody until we got to the last home and that's home right, to, right there on the corner there. And I guess God did that because I forgot to write the address down, which is rare. I don't do that. But I can remember it was a corner house there. And it had kind of a walkway. And we went up there. And a man, very nice man, came to the door who started conversing with us. And he's, I guess it's kind of a group home type of thing situation there because there were a lot of people there that just have special needs they were taking care of there. And, and so he got to talking with us, told us about his religious persuasion, all those things. And uh, my, the so many partner and I were talking to him about the Lord, just sharing with him what I just told you today. And you could tell the Holy Spirit's work in his heart. He really... He really knew he needed to get saved there but some people pulled up it always happens like this. the devil's always working the people pulled up their car pulled up and they said why don't you meet dr so-and-so and i said well i'm dr fong <laughs> you know and so i want you to meet so-and-so and so they they kind of so he got distracted and i said and i asked him my, my brother Edgar, i don't know where brother Edgar's summer here i said i asked brother Edgar to testify i said hey but i said sir i said don't you think you need to get saved 
don't you think you need Jesus? And I, and I appealed to him before he walked off for three times and he went, do it. And he walked away and we're about to turn our back. And behind him were a couple of these, these, uh, People who live in this group home, they were kind of listening, and they, you know, I just didn't really know if they were really with it or not, and I'll be honest with you, I just wasn't paying attention, I was just kind of focused on him, and we're about to turn our back, I mean, I, I was standing like this, talking to him with, with, with uh, helping to look at the iPad, I was to explain to him, and I was about to turn like this, and there was a young man behind me, he said, wait, wait, don't go, and he looked at me, and he looked at it like he'd been in a couple alley fights, if you know what I mean, okay, and uh, he looked, he says, wait, I want to do what you just told him to do. I've been listening. Man, the Holy Spirit smote my heart. Because here's this guy on the second row, third row, listening. And he said, I, he said, hey, I don't know who you are, but don't leave. I want what he, what, what he won't take. I said, did you understand what I was just sharing with this man? He said, yes, I did. Brother, Brother Edgar, are you here? Where's Brother Edgar at? Where's Brother Edgar? Is that true, Brother Edgar? Am I telling the truth or am I just preaching? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That young man, about his mid-twenties, I mean, serious as a mortician. He looked at me and said, Pastor, if that's how to get saved, I'm going to get saved right now. And that young man, he said, I don't care who's around. I want to get saved right now. Yesterday morning, at five minutes to 12, that young man bowed his head did exactly what I'm telling you about right here. He did the acceptance that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but of everlasting life. It's very simple, beloved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. God loves you. The truth about God's love, it reaches to everyone. It reaches out to us because we're sinners under the sentence of condemnation. Jesus died for your sins and mine. It was a sacrificial death. It was a shocking death. It was a satisfying death. And with it, the accomplishment is he gives us everlasting life. Hey, today you can be certain, today, December 9th, that you can be born into God's family, that you can be saved, and you can write down that you were born again and received the gift of eternal life. And I'm going to show you how this morning. I'm going to show you how, like almost 20 people did last night, as they called on the Lord as their Savior around this auditorium, on my left, my right, in the middle, in the back. You can do the same thing today. You can be born into God's family. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, God wants you to be absolutely sure you're going to heaven. God wants you to be absolutely sure that you're going to heaven. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. He gave Jesus to die for you that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Would you be that whosoever, where as of today, you can change your name, put your name where it says whosoever. On December 4th, 1971, Alan Fong's name got there. And yesterday, a young man whose last name was McMillan put his name there. And on Tuesday, a lady that we met that's from Cavite put her name there. And last night, there's 15 to 20 people that believed on Jesus Christ and put their name there. How about you? How about you? How about you? Hey, here's how you can get saved right now, right where you're seated in the privacy of your chair. You can pray this prayer and Christ will save you. Now, just going along with me, reciting it is not going to save you. It must be from your heart. You must acknowledge right now. Yes, I am a sinner. I know I have sinned. 
and I want God's forgiveness. And I know that my sin will send me to hell, but I want Jesus to save me right now. Right where you're seated, right where you're seated, make this your prayer by making these your words by calling on Jesus Christ as Savior. Here's what you can ask God to do. Here, pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess today I am a sinner on the way to hell and I want to be saved. I believe your Son, Jesus Christ, is God who died for my sins and He rose again from the dead. By faith, I take Jesus right now into my heart to be my Savior, my God, and my best friend. Thank you today for the gift of eternal life, for saving me from my sins. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed and eyes closed. Now, you listen to me this morning very carefully. If you are one, someone this morning who, at, who just prayed that prayer and asked Jesus Christ to save you, this is so important. Would you raise your right hand to say, Pastor Fong, I want you to know I prayed that prayer to ask Jesus to save me. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out or anything like that. But is there, are there people in this room today that would raise their hand and say, Pastor Fong, I just prayed with you. I prayed that prayer, made it my words. I prayed and asked Jesus Christ to save me. I accepted Christ today. I became a whosoever that believed on Jesus Christ and asked to save. Would you raise your hand today to identify that you accepted Christ? Anyone like that this morning? Anyone like that this morning? Is there a woman, a man, a mother, a father, grandfather, grandmother? There's someone here today that would say, Pastor, I did. I believe that. I understood a very clear message that helped me understand. Jesus died for my sins, and I called on Jesus just now. How about that? Anyone like that today? God speaking to your heart about believing on Christ, accepting Him, and you did that right in the privacy of your seat. You say, why do you want me to raise your hand? Because i like to know who you are so I can pray for you. Anyone like that? Anyone like that? This morning? Wait just a moment. Christian friend, thank God for Jesus' love because it's absolute love. It's infinite love. It's indescribable love. And it's inseparable love. Are you going through some valley, anxiety, difficulty? Would you get revived this morning knowing that God loves you? And to know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge? Maybe this morning we just need a revival of being in God's love. Of knowing His mercies and His love for us. Overcome your insecurities. Overcome your fears by knowing this morning that God loves you. You have a sin issue you're dealing with, that you're trying to find victory over sin or obedience. Hey, know that God loves you this morning. He gives you the victory through Him. Would you claim that? Because the Bible says we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Would you do that this morning, Christian friend? We can be just as revived by experiencing revival of God's love in our hearts this morning and realizing we love Him because He first loved us. I'll give you a moment to respond. And just, and just when we close this prayer, you can respond by saying, Lord, I just want you to know I love you because you love me. Father, help some today who may not know that they're saved 
who know that they're not saved but realize today they need Christ, I pray that they would accept Christ this morning and make Jesus their Savior. And then others today, I pray, perhaps struggling with some insecurity, some anxiety, some some form of just uh, difficulty. I pray that, Lord, that your love would give them hope and, and uh, comfort and strength this morning. As we give the invitation, help us to love you. Lord, we need to be like the church at Ephesus where, Lord, we get a revival of first love in our hearts. Having that first love for Jesus Christ, draw us near to you, Lord, we pray, as we give the invitation in Jesus' name. Let's stand, heads bowed, and eyes closed. Brother Vaughn sings. I invite you to come. Christian, we need a revival of God's love in our lives. A revival of love that permeates and works. Do you love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? Do you love Him because He loved you? Or you've been kind of stingy and holding back? How about loving the Lord this morning? And then, friend, today, if you're not saved, don't leave the church this morning without getting saved. Please understand God loves you. God's love is extended to you to be saved this morning. We invite you to come to Christ. But don't come because your friend urged you to come. Come because you know in your heart of hearts you need Christ to save you. Would you come this morning? Our altar workers are here. And lovingly, they'll take the scriptures and show you how to be saved. Hey, Christian friend, how about some of you coming forward this morning and praying for your visitors who are going to be in church tonight? Praying for visitors that will come, those you've extended invitations to, that they'll come to hear about the love of God in Christ Jesus. Would you do that this morning? Would you pray for loved ones to experience the love of God? I can't think of a better time of the year than right now during Christmas for people to experience the wonderful love of God in Christ Jesus. Would you do that right now? Folks are coming. Would you come? Would you call on the Lord? Father, thank you for a love that never lets us go, a love that's everlasting in its nature, a love that, Lord, that we don't understand, that we can't, we can't comprehend and have the words to describe it. And yet we're thankful today that you love us and you love us so much that you express it through the offering of your son, Jesus Christ, the Savior. Father, in just a moment, we pray that you'll dismiss us with your blessing. Help us to get rest. I pray for our orchestra and choir and our, our AV team and others who will be around her and our culinary team that's preparing for tonight. We pray this evening that you'll give them strength for their bodies and energy. And help us that tonight be a wonderful evening. We pray that the Spirit of God would work greatly in our midst. We pray for this of you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.